Hello and welcome to Get Object. This is a podcast about things in games. I'm Rosie. I'm joined by my co-host Paul. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about computers. So we will be hacking the mainframe shortly. Um, but first of all, we have um, some chat to do, Paul, because we've actually launched the podcast now, haven't we? Yeah, which has been really great. And I think we've both been surprised by uh, kind of how many people have, have got on board with it. So it's been really, really nice. Um, yes. How many people have been listening and tweeting us and sending us emails so yeah thank you very much to everybody who's been yeah sharing our podcast with other people and listening and stuff it's been amazing it's been so so lovely and we've had yeah as as paul says like lovely suggestions we are hugely infused by how people seem to be enjoying the brief (laughs) um people seem you know uh happy to talk about things in video games it's a it's it's been an interesting thing, um, subject to art for us to hear back from people, what their kind of favourite things are, things they've responded to um, really well. Um, so, yeah, lovely suggestions. It's It's been like having a little research community forming yeah. up. <laughs> it's really, really pleasant. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. That's amazing. So we, we, we've got some some uh, specific feedback from people that we wanted to, to go through, right? So... Um, yeah, but we, we, I mean, we were asking for people to let us know what they thought and they, they have done. So that's amazing. So, um, let's start. We've got an email from, uh, Dan here. Yes. That was the first email we got, wasn't it? It was lovely. It was indeed. Yeah. Dan said, just listen to the first three episodes and gave you a five star rating on iTunes. Now, thank you, Dan. Every, uh, yeah. Um, that, like everyone has been amazing and thank you very much but I feel bad to ask for more but I, <laughs> iTunes reviews is the one thing that we, we're maybe a little bit lacking on I would yeah. say especially uh, our American friends we could do with some uh, reviews on there so um, yeah if, if anyone's on iTunes our podcast that'd be great if we could get some more of those but anyway Dan says um, so, so Dan, Dan was uh, giving us some feedback on the, on the maps episode. He said, you mentioned the London Underground map as a well-known map. That's such a neat point of reference. Subways are essentially magic boxes that you step into in one part of the city and merge from in another. The rider does not observe the city as they pass through it. It's a highly abstractive form of travel. Um, so it seems to me that subway maps need to be abstract, not just so they can be quickly and easily read but also so they can feel congruent with the highly abstract experience of riding the subway at times it feels more like you're traveling through the map than the city to which the map corresponds um yeah that definitely uh chimes in with what we were feeling i think on yeah. on uh what it's like riding the subway so i, I like that um yeah, he mentioned he mentioned mini metro as a game that's kind of like a a game that's played in the subway map i i haven't played it that looks very nice uh, nonetheless but he also mentioned Kentucky Route Zero so he said um, as I understand it the people who made that game were very inspired by theatre yes that is correct Dan mm-hmm. uh, and so the game is arranged into scenes that take place with little exceptions in locations that can fit on a stage and these locations are represented as symbols in a series of overworld maps there's one that represents an American highway system another for a circular underground highway with supernatural properties and finally a river these overworlds are highly abstract black and white affairs that evoke roadmaps, sonar charts, GPS units, and 1970s vector monitors. That's a very nice description of those uh, of those of those uh, maps for sure. Um, 
yeah, and he says, uh, you don't simply depart and arrive on the scenes you, you simply get from scene to scene not with the assistance of the map but entirely on a map and he said he, he thinks that's an interesting counter narrative to the idea that maps are necessarily less immersive than the spaces they describe and that games especially AAA games should work to rely less on maps I do mostly agree with that he says but just as worlds without maps are an interesting extreme so are maps without worlds especially when they give especially when game designers make those maps meaningful and satisfying to interact with, um, use their maps to capture transit experiences that are otherwise unrepresentable or they don't wish to represent. Um, yeah, I think that's a really, really uh, nice point as well. Mm, um, mm. Elegant. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, we were kind of trying to highlight some, some areas where people would use maps in more innovative and interesting ways. So, yeah, I, I think that's going cool. Kentucky Route Zero's maps are certainly very um very strange uh example um and, and then yeah dan just closed off by giving us a couple of suggestions so collectibles and inventories so they are both in the spreadsheet now. they're in the spreadsheet <laughs> we've added them yeah so yeah thanks for that dan that's lovely dan thank you and yes um another email that we got from um jay uh who is um a shout out to jay he's a he's a friend from diane um Jay said, I'm glad you picked Dark Souls as one of your game objects, Rosie. I'll tell you the object I always associate with Dark Souls, the soapstones. There's nothing like them I know of anywhere else in games. In other games, if you want to send a warning or play with someone, you stick in the gamer tag and off you go. But the soapstones are an act of faith akin to putting a message in a bottle, throwing it into the sea and hoping that someone you'll never meet finds it. Amazing stuff. Yes. Um... So they're called soapstones, are they? I didn't know that. Yeah, you write you write messages with soapstone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like yeah I like the idea of them being like a message in a bottle. That is very much what it's like, isn't it? It's a lovely lyrical description of yeah. um of exactly what that is like the uh, the kind of tenuous nature of reaching out to anyone in Dark Souls um mm. and and trying to find some kind of point of communication and coherence. Um, yes, very nice. It's a it's a lovely example. Um, he also, um, speaks about Hotline Miami and GTA, um, the, the talk of tonal shifts with gore in our episode three, uh, makes him think of Spec Ops The Line. Like most games that tackle the player's relationship to violence, it's flawed, but I respect the way it attempts to take the CO, uh, Call of Duty nastiness head on. Within the game, you, the player, needs to commit a war crime using white phosphorus to advance the plot, um... The the game, the game, the game. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to advance the plot, the game then confronts you with the outcomes and points out the excuses the character has made for that. Even though the game starts with your character only being given very simple, clear orders, do not engage if you meet any resistance. Retreat. The only way to win the game is to turn it off after the first exchange of gunfire. As I say, flawed but an interesting game. Yeah, I like Spec Ops. Right. Uh, I don't I'm, know if you've played it. No, I've never played yeah. any games like that. Okay, yeah, it's it's yeah, it does a lot of stuff with, um, yeah, like it says, like it's trying to do some things with you being, you know, this classic like military hero going into this area, but but having you kind of do kind of a lot of the things around how those things are justified, and it's kind of trying to undercut a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah it does some cool things and yeah the white phosphorus scene is a 
horrible. Right. Um, and the other recommendation that Jay has um, is about, he did a, a suggestion for computers, which is our theme today. He likes the clicky clacky 1970s green screens in the amazing slash terrifying alien isolation. Um, he describes the fun of tapping away at the computer when you know that um, an alien is about to come up and bite you on the butt. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a very stressful experience. I've never played Alien Isolation, but from what I hear, it is stressful. Yeah, I, I'm too scared to play that game. Right, but yeah. I, 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 can, I can imagine that what he's describing does sound... Uh, yeah, having your vision like locked into something and knowing mm. there might be something behind you sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, lovely thoughts from Jay there. Thank you very much. Okay, and then just uh, one more email from David. It said, I don't know if anyone's mentioned this, but in Final Fantasy VII, the world map was actually a proper globe. And instead of areas being sectioned off via keys, so he's obviously responding to our keys episode, it was done using geography slash your mode of travel. You start off walking, and that's what you're limited by. Then eventually you can traverse shallow water, and then rivers, then mountains, then oceans, and eventually you're in an airship completely unleashed upon the world. Even as a dim t- teenager, I always thought it was extremely clever. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, it, it's very... Yeah, it, the world is very... Uh, quite trying to cross at first, I guess, because you, you, obviously you get into random battles as you're crossing the map and you can only walk and it takes a long time to get from place to place and you have to make all these detours because of not being able to go across rivers or whatever, so you have to take the long way around and then getting these new modes of travel it becomes easier and easier to, as you kind of, yeah, conquer the world. And that always felt like a, a nice progression. So, yeah. Lovely. All right. And then we also have some tweets. Um, thank you very much for everyone reaching out to us at Get Object Pod on Twitter. Um, we have a uh, message from Evren. Now, this is the kind of thing uh, we were talking about. Not only have we had people coming in with suggestions for um, objects and ideas that they've had about objects they like, we also have people suggesting podcasts in other languages that might be interesting and might be worth checking out uh such as from Evren we have uh were you aware there's a French language podcast which also takes an analytical approach and is entitled Ludographie Comparée I thought you might like to know um I love to know that thank you very much Evren my French is poor um I'm very much trying to improve and um it does look like a really interesting podcast and they do actually Every week, um, the presenter is looking at, um, he is actually looking at things, but not always like material objects, sometimes music, okay. sometimes difficulty sliders. Um, but okay. it, yeah, it, it, it sounds really interesting. It looks like it's taking a really good approach. And um, if you can speak French or if you would like to improve like me, um, I would, yeah, give it, give it a go. Your accent sounded good to me, but I, I can't speak any French, so... Uh, my know. accent was always fine. I got quite good marks in French at school just because I can do that sound. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> but my vocabulary and my grammar, holy shit, absolutely appalling. But I would like to get better. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for the recommendation, Evelyn. Okay. Um, we've got um, a tweet from James. Uh, listening to Get Object Pod and enjoying the Gore episode at the moment. A few games that spring to mind: Crusader, No Remorse from 1995, an isometric shooter with a gun that turns people inside out, <laughs> and Die Hard Trilogy 1996, which had a gore meter that could be turned up and down. 
um Very yeah nice. i played i played both those games um you played crusader no remorse oh well i love the seriousness yes, it, of the title uh yeah it's really um it was a really cool game i i did so the extent to which i played it i'm not sure so there was crusader no remorse and crusader no regret this would have been around the era of uh like shareware and yeah, demos yeah yeah yeah, and yeah absolutely. so there's a lot of games i have in my mind that i've played I've definitely played in some form, but I'm not sure whether I've played like a shareware version where I've played a bit of it. Yeah, you played like, like a long might... demo. Yeah, I feel like Crusader could be that. Um, but yeah, it was a cool game. Mm. Um, yeah. Lovely. Um, and what else we got? Sorry, I was just looking at the mailbag. Yes, we've got another one from uh, Matt Colt. Listening to the first episode of Get Object Pod and it's great, but they definitely missed a trick by talking about Metal Gear Solid and not picking the CD case a uniquely meta fourth wall breaking game object. Now you responded to this and told me that, uh, and said that you would have to explain to me the CD case. Yeah, I should should have mentioned it. So this is kind of, um, I I mean, we talked about Psychomantis and the kind of fourth wall breaking stuff there with the the memory card and the the controller vibrating. So there's a bit in the game where you have to, so um, Snake has a uh, what's called a codec, which is a little thing in his ear, mm-hmm. and then you, you you can call people up, and each person uh, people have a like a number, like one four zero point two six or whatever. You know, and normally, like they'll call you first, and then you have the number in there. But there's somebody's number that you have to find, or frequency, someone's frequency you have to find, and. Uh, the way you do that is there's a screenshot on the back. You know, obviously game, games have screenshots on the back. Mm. And there's a screenshot of the back of the case from the codex screen of him calling the person you need to call. And the, the, the code is on there. So that's the only way that you can find wow. the code. And I, I think somebody, I can't remember if they kind of hint you at first, but I, I think somebody does eventually like say to you, check the cd case like Jeez, in the game Louise, so right. yeah it was doing yeah it was a very weird it's a very uninstinctive thing to do <laughs> yes. so when you're looking for a solution in a game to like look at an object outside of the game for a solution so yeah that was cool for fall breaking thing and uh, we also got one from verblet who's uh who's gone all in and, and written <laughs> written his suggestions out in in code form uh, a list of objects which i'm not, I'm not going to try and read out uh uh, literally but but um verblet has suggested um bags yep so inventories uh, encumbrances death strandings is all right uh, i haven't played i haven't played death stranding so not sure exactly what it's referring to um bullets as limited resource bullet hell games mm. and hats halo helmets mario odyssey hat people the joys of customization so yeah all good suggestions that will be i, I think i've already added to the spreadsheet actually so yeah. Right, wonderful. Yeah, the hats. Um, oh, yeah, I've been playing Mario Odyssey recently, and the hat people are, um, slightly unnerving addition to uh the Mario lore. Um, hat people. I mean, I know you can throw the hat on stuff. Yeah, he's he's a person. The hat is a person that you throw. Oh, okay. He's called Cappy. It's a whole thing. I'm not sure how happy I am with Cappy. <laughs> okay. Being like a guy who's also a hat. But um, yeah, it's interesting and we can yeah. get onto it when we cover hats. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, Brown Recluse asked if we've played Control yet. Um, I have not played Control yet. I believe you, of course you have and uh, are excited about it and want us to talk about it on the show. 
Yeah, I, I've I've played it and I really enjoyed it, and I, I'm I'm hoping Rosie's gonna get mm. to it um, at some point. And uh, I I think we should consider an episode on control, but okay. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how see how, how how Rosie feels after playing it. If that's uh, if it can support its own episode, I think it maybe can, but, but we'll see. All right, no, I am going to try and get to it as soon as possible. Um, I'm sort of working through a bit of a backlog at the moment, but um. Yeah. There's but no rush. We've got the rest of time. We've got the rest of time, haven't we, for podcasting? <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, finally, one from Simon on Outer Wilds. Easily the best game I played last year. My idea was that it's a really good depiction of a universe of objects outside of the control of a subject. It's it's a game world that's sort of indifferent to your presence in which subjects have to accept their limited control. Yeah, certainly a game you feel very... Um, fragile in and right. in which you get yeah you get the sense unlike another get a lot of other games that universe does not care about your presence in it um yeah and it has a very nice a cool object that can hear sound in any direction you point it in so even if it's like a few planets away you can like hear someone playing their banjo like uh, and then you can use that to navigate there Oh, well, that sounds so cool. Yeah. Um, I know that Simon also recommended sort of as part, we were having a bit of an exchange with him on Twitter and he recommended looking into object-oriented ontology, which is something that Adam, my um, my brother and co-host on Diane, has been talking about. Um, okay. Thanks for the tip on that, um, Simon. I do, I do mean to look into it because it sounds like it might be relevant. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that is, so I should look into that as well. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. look into that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's uh, that's our feedback. Um, and if if anybody else wants to get involved, then uh, at gadget at getobjectpod on Twitter and getobjectpod at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, lovely. Yeah. Well, uh, so what what about you, Rosie? What have you been uh, What have you been playing since we since we last spoke? Um, so I've actually completed Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh, I, you said you were gonna. Uh, you were sort of getting. A, you, you were thinking of taking a break from it. Yeah. To the end. Yeah, I was. I was complaining on on our um on our Slack, wasn't I? And being a bit like, oh, I've had enough of Zelda. I kind of had had enough of Zelda, but also apparently not because I was like, right, final push. And it mm. turned out I was much nearer the end than I thought I was. Mm. Um, and oh, I just now that I've completed it, it's like there are a few things I wasn't enjoying about it that much. Like it's got weapons that degrade, which I never think is a fun mechanic. Um, mm. I'm just, I'm just never that into it. Um, I was spending so much time cooking. Um, I cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> I cannot wait till we get onto the episode on food because yeah. there's some really cool, interesting food stuff in Zelda. But it turned out, it just ended up taking up all my time. I think I wasn't playing the game properly, basically. Um, but having finished it now and being able to see it in its entirety, that's a really, really beautiful game. It has such a clarity to it. It's so it's quite unusual to have an open world game where the central narrative is that good and that clear. Um, Normally it's like some convoluted mess. By the time you've got to like 300 hours in Skyrim, you have no idea what's going on with anything. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very elegant. It's very beautiful. Um, It's, it's a hell of a time. So I did really, really enjoy that. Uh, What are you playing at the moment? Um, I've played quite a few things since we last spoke. I'll I'll try to, Sort of get through them quite quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I played Gris, which is a very pretty 
platformer mm-hmm. which doesn't have any like words in it but appears to be basically about grief process of grief or something um it's um it was it's it's okay i would say yeah. <laughs> like it's a, it's a decent platformer but, but yeah very pretty game i also played luna for um work which is a uh point and click that's kind of um i think it, it, it's a bit ghibli like in terms of in terms of the art and stuff right. but also you know um so there's a lot of games i think that use a ghibli art style but don't necessarily capture the the spirit yeah this has something of that um the, the way i tried to, to frame it was like a a sentimental coziness i don't know mm. if that makes sense to you that's no absolutely it, yeah i mean i would say zelda breath of the world also has that yeah okay cool yeah so it's um yeah just uh, uh, like puzzle rooms instead of like you don't pick up uh you don't collect objects and stuff it's like you, you're making your way up a tower and each room is like its own puzzle but mm-hmm. it had a really nice um really it, it was a really nice feel to it and uh yeah i enjoyed it that was a nice game i also played the final episode of kentucky route zero um so that's a game that's been ongoing for like seven years at this point, but it's now finally finished. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it made me cry. Oh, <laughs> the last lovely. episode. Yeah, it, it's re- it really, um, I, I mean, I think I, quite early on in this game, I was a bit unsure about it because it can be very, can be almost alienating because it's quite experimental and strange. But. Yeah, I, I've kind of it's kind of landed me more and more as it goes on. It's it's very like yeah, very abstract and open to interpretation a lot of times, but it has a core where it's very much about like um capitalism, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's kind of about it's all it's all about people in debt and there's a lot a lot of themes around debt and like poverty and so it has that kind of core that all the for me that makes it work with all the kind of other stuff floating around it that has that to center on and i think it's really yeah really special game right Um, and then i've been playing a plague tale innocence because it's on xbox games pass for pc so it's free (laughs) which is like a stealth i don't know if you've seen anything about that it's like a stealth game no there's loads of rats it's like a rat plague so they're like uh almost like water like swamps of rats that like eat you alive if you step they're scared of light so you have to like yeah it, it's um quite I, I saw some reviews that describe it as, as having some being a bit too video gamey which kind of um it is a bit it has some of that <laughs> right, I know, so let me think there's a boss fight where you have to throw your sling at the bits of uh, the weak points on the armor to like knock the armor off and do you know what I mean? Just yeah. Like that. But it it's the two main characters are children. So I think that's the interesting part of it. You, I think the girl that you play as is maybe meant to be, I don't know, 15 or 16 or something like that. And you're with her four or five-year-old brother. So you're kind of looking after him. And I mean, it's quite unbelievable. But I mean, this kid within within a, a few minutes of, of kind of the game kicking off in earnest, he's, he's seen... Uh, people being murdered uh, in front of him. He, he'd seen uh, people being eaten alive by swarms of rats. Right. And, I mean, he's 
It doesn't seem to be <laughs> that effective. By Not it. too fast. I, I, I think, yeah. I mean, he's bothered at the time, but then as soon as you're away, he's quite ha- I, I think a kid, a four or five-year-old kid would be kind of completely broken uh, by that point. But but never, nevertheless, there's something... We, we don't play as like... Or play with children that often in games. So... Yeah, it, it's definitely got a lot of weaknesses, but I'm still finding it quite interesting. So something a bit different there. And there's something about yeah, looking after your little brother and trying to make sure he's okay that has something to it, I think. Right, so, yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds really nice. Um, I did want to make one more note, actually, on something I have played this week. Um, I actually did start Kentucky Route Zero because okay. um, I noticed that someone had an article out this week that talks about the making of it. I was quite, su- yeah, I was quite surprised by this, Paul, because I think you kind of mentioned at some point, you were like, oh, have you played Kentucky Route Zero? And I was like, yeah. Oh, no, I was like, no, I haven't. Do you like it? Have you played it? And you were just like, yes. And then I saw, imagine my surprise when it turned out you've got like this incredible in-depth article where you've spoken to the makers of it. It's come out this week. It's in Games yeah. Radar. Do you know what? Yeah, probably because it wasn't that fresh in my mind because actually that article was published in a magazine like uh, uh, a few a few years ago oh, in really? a slightly different form. Yeah, but the magazine no longer exists; it's closed down. But Games Radar is part of a company that owns that, so they still own it. So I was asked to kind of update it for now so even though it, it yeah it's quite a long kind of in-depth interview thing I did most of that work years ago so it wasn't that present in my mind I just kind of updated it for them, um, <laughs> I just thought you were so. being tremendously modest there well I no, mean no, I, just... <laughs> I really look forward to reading it anyway um I did I did start it and I thought it yeah it seemed very striking and very beautiful and seemed to be have some interest in haunting and what that looks like. And that's always one of my favourite yeah, kind of sure. topics that you, you find in storytelling. So I look forward to getting into it more and then reading your fantastic article, I'm sure. Um, and if you have played it, um, I don't know if you remember the title of your article that you wrote several years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I think it's just called like, it's called like the baking of Kentucky Route Zero or something very simple like that i think all right well i would recommend that everyone go check that out because i imagine it's excellent thank you so we should be we should we get to our our main subject today um yeah i mean yeah listeners i, I think we, we had quite a lot of uh, feedback to get through this time because obviously we're kind of three episodes worth of feedback but uh yeah we, 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 it'll be a bit bit br- bit brisker going forward i think um hopefully we'll see um so yeah we're talking about computers we are talking about computers. Yes, this, I think, maybe was slightly, mm, came slightly more naturally for you this week, this uh, particular topic. I get the impression you like games with computers in them. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I, I think I kind of ended up with too many examples. Like, <laughs> right. I, I, I actually, up, I, I got frustrated that somebody, I, I thought I'd finished my notes and then somebody suggested an example that I had forgotten. But it was a really good one and I kind of resented having to put it in. Neither. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to... I tend to veer more towards like sci-fi then, mm. whereas I think you you tend to be more of a fancy person. So yeah, I'm more naturally inclined to towards games with computers in for sure. Yeah. So it's difficult for you then. Yeah, I like games with goblins. Like yeah. you very rarely find goblins 
and computers. If anyone can recommend to me a game with <laughs> goblins and computers, I will play it. Um, yeah. But yes, normally they don't. But it turns out, actually, I was surprised at how often they have come up in games that I've played. Um, but yeah, it's it's not generally, I'm not that into sci-fi or, or anything like that. So it's not all the time. Um, but I did have a thought about it just just in general that I thought was quite interesting. I was, I was thinking about um, your concept, not your concept, it's Frederick Jameson's concept of um, cognitive mapping that you brought up on the episode mm-hmm. on maps. And um, that seemed to be talking about the ways in which cultural representations can help people orient themselves in the world and mm-hmm. act in, make sense of the world and also make sense of their own kind of capacity within it. And it helps people to um, to cultivate kind of forms of agency. Yeah, yeah. And I thought actually objects and video games in general are a kind of representation that are about that because they're being put in intentionally by game designers. Unlike a rock in a field, which is just kind of there, a rock mm. in a field in a video game has been put there by someone um, yeah. for a specific you know, reason, whether it's just to like lay the scene or whether it's because you need to throw the rock at something, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, so these are representations that are always about um, making sense of the world and helping us develop a sense of competence within it, within these kind of virtual worlds. And um, in that respect, it's actually like quite interesting questions that we can get into by looking at these. And obviously computers do this. They make sense of the world. And in making sense of the world, they generate specific forms of power. Um, but not everyone's interests are aligned, obviously. So computers can be a, a, an, an object of fear where they're being used to generate forms of power that we are subject to rather than that we are, you know, wielding ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, and I think that's kind of going to be weaving through some of the stuff we going to be talking about for sure um so the the yeah the thing i the things i started thinking about in general when we were we're talking about doing computers were uh so this is another of our kind of everyday objects that we've had a ubiquitous object Mm. that we we all have in our daily life and obviously these are things that we recognize for their utility and that let us do lots of cool things and make lots of stuff a lot easier um, but I mean, as, as you were kind of talking about with, with, um, how we can use objects to kind of orient ourselves, computers are a great source of anxiety. They're a great yeah. source of debate. Um, you can think about how they function as in systems of control, stuff like f- how facial recognition is used, the way our data is logged and captured and manipulated, um, the impact of social media is something you know people people talk about a lot. Uh, automation, AI. So there's a lot of stuff there that computers are kind of a, a stand-in for, or that manifest through computers. And I think a lot of this, these things are mirrored uh, in games. Um, they 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 again they can also be uh, something that's helpful to us, but they are often hostile as well mm. um one thing i wanted to, to, to say quickly just for, for for listeners we we have made the decision that um robots are not yes. computers for the purposes of our ro- robots deserve their own um 
episode robots at some point, perhaps absolutely get their own show yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so com- computers not robots yeah um, so i thought it was important to mention in case anyone's wondering why we leaving out uh some uh important things mm. so uh, the, the the first place that I, I went with this and when I was thinking about like what do I like about computers and games or what are the ones that really stand out to me was thinking about how computers and games can, can kind of cut out abstraction. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is you are there are games where you are interacting with a fictional computer through your actual computer and um, so there's a kind of there's not a disconnect there. So in, instead of pressing buttons on a controller in the real world to punch someone in the video game, you are pressing your, I don't know, you're pressing your H key on your yeah. computer and in the game an H is appearing on the computer screen. And it's functionally the, the same thing. Like uh, like win, like Windows is like a uh, an interface. It's not like what is actually happening when you... Do you know what I mean? You press the button and there's some electrical signals or whatever. So it's mm. already an abstraction. So the fictional UI in the computer game is just like a... You know what I mean? There's not that much of a difference. Yeah. They're, they're kind of the same thing. So that, I think, is potentially very uh powerful thing. I find it very compelling. So so some of the games I started thinking about were um what you might call desktop sims of various kinds. Um, there's one called Sibel from 2015 made by Nina Freeman, uh, which was recommended actually by Circadian Wolf on the, on the range touch discords. I've been back in the discords again, nice. <laughs> asking for suggestions, uh, which I, I, I had forgotten about, but uh, I have played. So you, you're, you're kind of on the, you're kind of playing as a, a 19 year old girl who's falling in love with someone online and it's all done through her desktop computers so there's like emails there's like notes maybe that should have made like images on the desktop and there's a, a fictional MMO that you play and like while you're playing it you're like chatting and stuff and it's a very familiar um it's a very personal game certainly yeah. I, I mean some of the images in there that she's ta- she's taken images of herself i don't know if they're like the actual images she had at that time or whatever but but um it, it feels like a, a very personal thing to do actually to be in somebody else's computer mm. and like looking at their files it, it's also very um feels for anyone who was had their kind of first experience of being on the internet as a teenager I think it feels very familiar, like the kind of interactions you might have, especially with these people you don't know, you don't actually meet in person. It's very well observed in that way, I think. So yeah, it has this nice, uh, uh, it, it feels quite voyeuristic in some right. ways, Yeah, yeah being yeah. on her computer, which I think that tells us something about, I mean, we think of, we often think of computers not incorrectly as being very impersonal things, but when you're in someone's space with their files and stuff, it becomes something else. Mm. But yeah, also a very recognisable and familiar experience because we all use computers and know how they function and we have those things. So yeah, that was a a nice example, I think. Yeah, like taking advantage of a competency that we all kind of already have developed um, for, you know, work and stuff like that, basically. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's exactly, and that 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 would tie very nicely for my for my next example. Oh, wonderful. Um, which is uh, her story. I don't know if you played that. I haven't. No. I, it looks really good. I've I've seen people streaming it. It looks fun. Okay. Yeah, I would recommend it. So that's mm. from 2015 by Sam Barlow. So that is a game where you're navigating an old police computer using a search function and you get pieces of police interviews and you kind of have to piece together a story. But, but exactly what you said about using a, a competency. Like, so these games don't have to explain to us like how do you, like you have a computer screen and you know how a computer screen works and you know that you can click on the files and open them. And the, the, the search function we know how to search like that's mm. just something we know from using computers so again so there's a, a so there's a lack of abstraction in this kind of way i was talking about with we are typing on our keyboard and it's coming up in the search bar it's like using our computer but also it's a skill that we skills that we know how to do already so th- this i think part of what makes her story really satisfying is that the detective work you're doing is something you actually know how to do right so it's not like in video get other video where you might do like perform an op to autopsy in a game or craft a gun or something it's like that's i don't know how to do that in, in real life like, if i tried to craft a gun it would be a disaster <laughs> yeah. of, of some kind um so but i do know how to search yeah. i can type things in a search bar so i can again that 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 the, what makes it satisfying is that I know how to use a computer and I'm using it like that and I'm getting results from it. Mm. And I think that is something that works. That sounds so fun. So you're like, I could be a detective. <laughs> yeah, that's the way yeah. you feel like you you could you are actually doing the thing you need to do. I, I mean, it, it feels really good. Yeah, it sounds yeah, really very cool. Satisfying. Yeah. Um, what one more on the desktop Sims? Mm. Um. This is a game I haven't actually played, but I've wanted to play uh, since it came out. But um, I thought it was definitely worth including. And it was recommended by uh, Erisephalus from the Range Touch Discord. Um, so, yeah, Hypnospace Outlaw from 2019, which is a 90s internet simulator, I guess you'd say. Oh, it's nice. Kind of a, it's kind of a point and click game again done through a desktop but when you're going on the internet that isn't owned by like three companies yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. like the internet when it had geo cities and where you actually had to go to websites instead of just going through like a social media aggregator so it's a, a kind of yeah some way nostalgic thing i guess but um exploring a different kind of of uh, internet but um yeah, I've got, I've got a, a quote here from Erisephalus about the game, uh, and I think captures quite well what it does well with um, computers and how it, how it uses its fictional computer. And they say, a lot of the game's themes, uh, to my mind, are about how technology can pro- prompt people to behave in certain ways, both by the limitations of technology and how people are channeled into doing what the system is designed for or else have to come up with workarounds in a system that isn't designed for what they want. And in terms of how being someone on the internet can change your personality and sense of values versus in real life interactions. The thing it does really well, in my opinion, is simulating the feel of being terminally online by the gameplay having you spend a lot of time scrutinising all these web pages to find clues and links and whatnot. 
leaving you with the feel that you've spent hours on the same forums as these NPCs. So yeah, it's a game that's been praised by a lot of people. And I don't know about you, but it sounds very interesting to me. It sounds fantastic. It sounds like really clever things to be looking at with um, the early internet. Um, one thing that often comes up with um, when you chart the progress of discourse around the internet um, is that something that used to be a big, a big field of thought in the 90s was the idea of being completely transported going somewhere different and the the possibility that you could be a different person there used to be a lot of anxiety and, and stuff like that in the press about people pretending to be other people online you still mm. kind of get that but it's not one of the yeah. sort of dominant ideas that you hear um and and it really used to be in the 90s um and yeah. um the idea of if you if you even look at um old technologies of the internet like you've mentioned geo cities you also used to get um like the old browsers are called things like Explorer and Safari and the idea of like yeah. going somewhere like a virtual reality yeah, that, yeah. that was much more of a thing whereas now it's 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 much more of a feeling of um, everyday augmentation the way that the internet is woven into everything um, so yeah that sounds genuinely quite a transporting experience I would really like to play that game yeah I, I... At the risk of sounding like an old person again, I, I I wonder. I think it's quite hard to describe to people who didn't grow up at that time, like how different the internet used to feel. Yeah, like it's like it, cyberspace. It, yeah, <laughs> it was a very. It was more. Yeah, very. It was a stranger place yeah. with uh, lots of very. I mean, it can still happen, but lots of weird things you could stumble across. Uh, because yeah, you had to you had to kind of explore it more because mm. you just, you had to, you didn't go to Facebook and or Twitter and then have links to click on. You had to like, yeah, go put in the address of somewhere. Uh, and like, uh, yeah, was, I, rem I yeah. remember reading um, in the, nine, like my dad, I think we had the internet at home quite early, relatively. Mm. It was around 92, which I think oh, is well, that's relatively early, early yeah. isn't it? Um, and, um, I remember like he had like a PC world or something, um, magazine that it, you'd have, it would have like the whole URL of websites, yeah. like three websites to check out this month. And like, and then like the URL of like the, the Monty Python fan page and you would have to type the whole thing in. Um, okay. So, uh, sorry listeners for, for you having to, to, to hear my, my, my voice, um, too much, but, uh, I have some examples that I'm very keen to get for on, on, uh. <laughs> On hacking, um, I love games with hacking in them. Yeah? Um, yeah. You like so, to hack a mainframe. I do like to hack a mainframe, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, so, yeah, there, there's just something very cool about, to me, about like having a, a system that somebody controls and then you taking it over or breaking it. Um, also, games where you that have you in some way type out and execute commands feels very cool to do um, to me. Right. Um, again, this is part of what I like about it is these games often have this this thing I've been talking about where you, there's a lack of abstraction because you're, you're, the game is like typing stuff in, which I'm doing on my PC, and the, the physical act of pressing the keys and having it like manifest feels very real in some way. So uh, Hacknet is a game I thought of from 2015, which itself is is heavily influenced by Uplink, which is a, a hacking game I haven't played from 2001. But um, you're 
you're placed in the role of, of being like a, a, a hacker or you, you're kind of learning to be a hacker and it uses um basic like linux commands mm-hmm. so like real real commands that you use on a potentially on a linux computer and it like teaches you how to how to use them um now obviously it's not actually what hacking is is like in any way i'm sure and, and a lot of actual hacking is like running just running a program that takes some time to do but navigating through like file systems by typing in like real commands and like mm. executing them feels very satisfying i i, do, I don't know why it is but so, just something about typing it and executing it and it makes you feel like you have this secret knowledge that you kind of understand how the system works and like can manipulate it it feels very very cool um also quadrilateral cowboy which is is a game i mentioned before uh if you remember the uh weevil i think it's called the little robot that you can guide through so this is from 2016 by uh, blendo games basically uh, which basically brendan chung i think who also made um 30 flights of loving i don't know if you're familiar with that no. game um very influential on Virginia, among other things. Oh, really? Which you have played. I like so Virginia, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a kind of 15-minute game, which is done with very quick cuts. Uh, has no words, no... Uh, the whole story is told in, in quick cuts, and it was very... Yeah, the people who made Virginia said, like, it was a huge influence on mm. them, and it got quite a lot of attention at the time because it's not something that's done a lot in video games, partly because it's quite difficult to do because of, like, loading assets and right. stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, and there's it, that's a bit of that technique is used in this as well. Um, and I think it's a very cool technique. But yeah, he's he's a developer that I'm very enthusiastic about, um, and I, I really like his games. But but this one you have a laptop. Um, as I mentioned before, it's like a heist game, and you take the laptop with you in the levels, and then you, you can um, connect it to the security systems and you type in again it teaches you commands to make you feel like you actually know what you're doing with computers and you you type in like um door dot five which is like the name of how the door is designated in the security system open and then like you put three in brackets which means it opens for three seconds because an alarm goes off you leave it open to too long and then you execute the command then it'll have you like you have to chain stuff together so like I need to turn off this security camera and then I need to activate that and then I need to tell the you can make it like wait for a certain amount of time before executing the next command you're like I need 10 seconds to get there so really really fun um and then as I said does stuff like the the weevil that lets you control that little robot and move it around it's used in a lot of cool ways it's really really satisfying game uh, satisfying computer to use um and I, I like the fact that you're manipulating the environment as well as the systems because you're using the computer to move through the environment and and have various things turn off on and off and do things and and obviously computers now are very much tied into buildings and cities in terms of like smart cities or you know how you're building or have if you work in a building it probably has security cameras it might have a key card mm. and the, and all that data is stored in a, in a computer so there there is this link between the virtual world and the real environment and the quadrilateral cowboy is about manipulating both 
those things so it connects both those two things it's it's very cool that sounds really um, cool it's interesting you keep using the word satisfying for that kind of action as well i think we're kind of coming to i wonder if as we kind of go through this show the words the word satisfying it seems to come up quite a lot where people are talking about things in games and i wonder if it is to do with where you re- hit that real sweet spot about something that is both making sense of the world and making you feel like you can act with some degree of power or control within it at, at the same time. Um, mm. It sounds like that's a lovely example. Yeah, I really recommend that game. Mm. It's great. Um, one I want to get through quickly, but I, I have to have to mention it because um, it's such an interesting one, is um, B. Taylor reminded me of Else Heart.Break, which is a game uh, very strange in a lot of ways. Uh, you, you start off arriving in a city when you've got a job to sell soda, and then but it doesn't like tell you like other games would to get to like you could just keep on selling soda do you know what i mean and like not doing anything like it doesn't the game doesn't the game doesn't like um give you like some objective or a character doesn't come to your room and tell you oh there's a conspiracy about it it's really open and unstructured and basically you just just by thinking okay selling soda can't be the only thing i'm supposed to do here and you can start to explore the little city and i I think at some point if you were in the right place at the right time you meet uh, a girl who will invite you to a party and then it kind of goes off from there but it doesn't point you in any direction so it's really weird and how open it is Mm. but anyway you get a the whole world is kind of like virtual and you get at some point a computer that lets you reprogram any object in the game so you can connect to you can kind of rewrite how the game works so for example you can click on a door and it will will show you then the code for that door Mm. like so you you open the door and then when you go through the door it will take you into that room and then you can change if you find out the name of another location you can change the name of the location in the code and if you walk through that door, you'll be teleported effectively oh, to the cool. other place. You can like edit coffee and you can like change, you can say, uh, you can edit like the speed of the character. So like the player speed plus five right. on the bit of coffee, then you have your player drink the coffee and now your character can move faster. And you can do a lot, if you're smart, Yeah, <laughs> you can you can program there's people who've programmed like skeleton keys that can open any doors. Like they cycle through all the possibilities. There's, uh, you can program cash machines to give you an infinite loop of money. Um, I had to go to a walk for at some point because it, <laughs> I, I just couldn't do it. Like it's too complicated. But the fact that you can program any object in the game and it's so flexible, um, I just think is a, I don't have anything particularly intelligent to say about it. I just think it's a really clever and cool game. Yeah. That's a nice example. That sounds yeah. really cool. I, I don't know how much I have to, to, to say about this, but one of the other things that, that jumped out to me was how often computers are used um, for like law delivery, mm. giving you extra details mm. in some way. I don't know if that's something that came up for you. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of ways in which it came up for me, because I think um, one thing that both of us noticed when we were looking at computers in games is that one of the things that it does is 
quite similar to what books can do in games, what posters can do in games, what tapes can do in games. They can give you mm. just like a chunk of text, essentially, yeah. a, bit, a bit of story being filled in. Um, and, and obviously, so there's some shared ground there, but I think it's really important to think about the... Um, sort of semiotics of an object, the kind of meaning um, and atmosphere of an object, um, mm. as well as just the function. You can't just look at function. Um, mm. And so um, the difference between worlds in which um, there are books everywhere and worlds in which there's computers everywhere is actually quite clear when we think about it. We're working in worlds um, that are often um, corporate or institutional um, mm -hmm. A wonderful example, actually, was given by John Cheatham. John Cheatham, um, who I think mm -hmm. you were talking to on Discord, yeah, who mentioned that the he me he mentioned Prey, uh, which is a fantastic yeah. game by Arcane. Have you played Prey? Yeah. Uh, yeah, really like it. I think we are fans of Arcane's games here on Get Object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, sure. uh, yeah, it's really, really good. It's set on um, Talos One, which is a space station, um, but first and foremost, a workplace. I feel yeah. with, with Talos One, it's it's a very kind of corporate environment. And so, as you find out, as you explore Talos One and learn about the calamity that is there. Um, there are computers which, as John explains, function as law, provide side quests and markers, give the status of crew, which feeds into the central save people or don't save people choices, and offer player empowerment by having downloadable schematics for weaponry or ammo. I feel they're well integrated into a lot of what you're doing in the game. Um, yeah, 100% agree with that. Really well integrated, really give the story of Talos one and also the relationship of your player to this environment, because you play as um, a character who is like one of the managing directors of this space station. It's quite, quite interesting that he's like, mm. he or she is like the boss or one of the bosses. Um, and I also, I, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I, they, they did that thing as well. Um, they don't do, uh, uh, they don't do that thing where your screen like zooms in and locks on the computer. They've integrated it so that the screens are such that you can use it easily. So it doesn't affect your view. Mm. So it doesn't like take you out of, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that's a good thing probably. Yeah. I mean, the, the computers in Prey only ever sort of situate you more and more in the world. They never take you somewhere else. Um, yeah. And I think it is really, really nice. And, um, one thing I, I like as, as well, the other another part of the atmosphere that I sort of thought often comes up when we're seeing a lot of computers is people in professional rather than necessarily personal relationships. Um, and one place that's really nice in Prey is uh, the relationship that you kind of uncover as you go around Talos 1, where there's been a calamity, obviously. It's, it's all very messed up. Um, mm. You go around and um, you uncover messages and emails exchanged over the workplace intranet by two characters um Danielle Show and Abigail Foy and um you sort of learn that these characters they they met through work I think they were doing a pen and paper role-playing game together and then they sort of fall in love and then you sort of chart the progress of that relationship and then also the kind of panicked messages they start to exchange as everything gets really fucked up on Talos 1. And there's something, it really heightens the romance of it. I think having it take place through like 
your your workplace email server and like <laughs> there's something about the um there's something like really human and lovely about their relationship that I feel is is really thrown into relief by the fact that it's all taking place over over work emails. I think it's really mm. nice. Yeah. And a lot of so I I think you could you might make the argument and it might not be unfair that using computers in this way to like do law or to show you a character relationship through the emails or whatever is is overdone but it often works and it often makes sense because because we again we like if you're in an office then you do use computers and you do use computers to communicate so the fact that the stuff is in that in the emails or whatever it makes sense um i mean that you can go too far i mean i I thought of um snatcher from 1988 where the computer is literally a law hideo kojima's just put all the law that he couldn't that in later games he would have the um have the pull to put in hour-long cutscenes. Right. He, he just dumps it all on the computer. It's just a list of law nice. that you go, you go through. But, um, I mean, I think of stuff like Deus Ex, where, for example, you'll find a password on a Post-it note and then you can get in someone's email and you can find something out about them. But people do do that. People write mm-hmm. their work passwords on Post-its. And if you can get access to someone's email, you can find out a lot of stuff about them. Yeah. Uh, people will share things on there so it's used a lot it's a device used a lot but it's again it's something that makes sense and it's something we're familiar with i think i think that familiarity with it it's it's so interesting the way as computers have become more sort of ubiquitous um in our lives and and you know they really have made this motion to being this thing that was sat on a table or a desk somewhere that did not move to, you know, these these portable devices now that we can carry everywhere. They, they become ever more integrated every year. Um, the other thing that I found with, with law delivery that was quite interesting to me was that even when I was playing Zelda, I realized I was like, oh, well, he's got a computer. He's got a mobile device. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he has like a little a little tablet that he carries around with him. And it's the same in um, Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, They found a way, the the creators of those games have found a way to give the main character a computer, even in a ostensibly um, much less technological kind of environment. Um, They've done it in both cases, actually, through the idea of um, uh, advanced ancient civilization, uh, which is always a kind of fun idea to be working with. Um, but both of the lead characters end up with these tablets that they can use to um, find out more information about the world, do research, do recording, um, documenting things about the world. And it's really interesting the extent to which the idea of being able to do research and record things is now so central to our sense of what it would mean to have power because we can we all know we can google things we can look things up uh we can try and document things and all of this has seemed to be quite important heroic action in the context of these games i thought that was really interesting uh, because it's i think it's relatively new and i wonder if going for i wonder if in in the next elder scrolls game for instance you're going to be able to basically get something that's like a computer uh we'll see while you're talking about that movement, actually, that ties in nicely with, with another of the examples that we got from uh, from the No Cartridge Discord. Um, I should say thank you to uh, to, to Trevor from No Cartridge mm-hmm. uh, and Cameron from 
range touch for letting me invade their discords oh, yeah. and uh because all the people in there have been really helpful but um if you mentioned the um kind of this movement you're talking about of, of technology and how it comes incorporated a few people mentioned the pc in the pokemon games mm-hmm. which you use to like store your pokemon um and sourceforge said the, the Pokemon PC feels like a timestamp of when the games came out. It was the 90s and computers in the home were becoming the hip thing. Um, there, was some, um, there was some discussion there as well about how it kind of, in the early games, had to like teach you about how to use the computer a bit more. Mm. Whereas later, it's like, okay, you know how to use a computer. Yeah. Um, but uh, then um, Resident Dark Place like uh, also chimed in and said, I thought about the timestamp thing a lot playing through Pokemon Sword and Shield, um, how in Red and Blue, it was a whole bespoke side quest. Oh, this is exactly what I was talking about. I've, 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 uh, uh, I didn't need to, to say that. So um, <laughs> it was a whole bespoke side quest to find Bill, have him explain the new PC technology, unlock it as a feature, etc. Whereas Sword and Shield... Uh, is a neat shorthand for technological advancement, a literal ghost in the machine who understands you, who assumes you understand how this kind of thing works mechanically and narratively. So yeah, that movement's there mm. uh, in those games. I think prob- I think you maybe have like a, I don't know, haven't played the new Pokemon. I think you might have like a tablet thing instead of a static PC now. I'd be amazed uh, if you probably. don't. Yeah. 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 So I, I guess um, tying in a bit, with what you're saying about kind of computers as being representative of institutional spaces, uh, I was thinking about computers as, as um, the centerpiece for, for systems of control mm. or oppression, which is how they often appear in games. Are there computers? In <laughs> are there computers in control? Are the game control? Um. I was just interested. No. Oh, really? There's lots of computers in the offices. Okay. As in there's lots of desks with computers on them. You don't use a computer. Uh, I'm trying to think if one of the, the special objects of power is a computer, but not one that's um, springing to mind. I don't think so. Just the one that you're playing the game on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so other systems of control. Yeah, so... So the computers often kind of the the thing that's used to to link up and manage the the various arms of the of whatever system it is. So security cameras, robots, the cameras will spot you, and then the computer will alert the guards, and then the mm. guards will be sent to where you are. So they're they're kind of the nexus for which all this stuff works. And this I think points to some of the uh, anxieties about computers that we were talking about, how they are. Um, these these tools of potential tools of of, of oppression um, how how key they are to how systems of control work now um, so they're, they're so they're, they're a tool that's used to do it but they're often the means of representing these systems like they, they stand in for kind of how oppression manifests like now or how we're controlled now um, and, and that goes I mean high-tech monitoring computers in some way used as kind of shorthand for that modern form of control has a long tradition you go you know you go back to um 1984 mm-hmm. where you have the character has like a tv everyone has like a tv thing in their house that is watching them so it's kind of always been a stand-in for that mm, mm. there's actually there's a really good um pen and paper game called um paranoia i don't know if you've ever played 
um right. paranoia any death it's it's fun um we used to we we went through a period where we were playing it with my um dungeons and dragons group and it was really really good good laugh if you just want to have like a short a short session and you can all get pissed paranoia <laughs> um so paranoia is uh taking place in a world that is very much a um surveillance state mega dystopia um mm-hmm. where everything is controlled by friend computer um who is um the 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 games master will will take on the role of friend computer um and and basically like if you if you mention anything negative ever about friend computer you get instantly like liquidated and die and then you kind of get reborn um but it's 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 actually really fun kind of you can have some real fun um mad capery in um paranoia but it's it was interesting to me that like the main named character in paranoia is friend computer and it's called paranoia um because the other thing that came to mind is the text it's not a video game was um uh mad men have you seen mad men no, I haven't. Oh, it's really, really good. Um, and that has a um, really early computer that comes into the office. Um, I think it's like maybe very early 70s at the point that this happens. It's an IBM mm. um, System 360, I think it's called. I, I did write okay. it down somewhere. But yeah, um, uh, one of the characters reacts very, very badly and starts to have what at first seemed like kind of to us watching quite reasonable concerns about um the uh controlling and uh, potentials of a computer and then mm. you know it sort of spirals into um this kind of serious psychosis uh but yeah it's just interesting that this this u- uniting of paranoia and computers related to the ideas of people being controlled because obviously like conspiracy theories as well like the history of modern conspiracy theories is a history of men who were like very men and women but mainly men who are very yeah. very online you know oh yeah no, no it's true yeah so, so yeah this mood of paranoia i guess around around computers is kind of uh yeah really well established as you say and in to some extent justified <laughs> yeah 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 no yeah it's, it's justified but also yeah like you say it's a it's a device that's been used to to spread um paranoia like to to crazy degrees yeah but i do think it's important what you pointed out is that it's actually it's not the computer that is the thing trying to control us and the way in which uh the computer the way in which that has become you know the computer is a tool that is being used by states or you know um corporate entities uh that are trying Mm. to generate their own power but the, the extent to which that then just becomes the computer is the object of fear within within storytelling uh mm. is quite it's just a bit of shorthand isn't it but it's worth pointing out yeah oh no yeah absolutely yeah and i guess if if games are failing to make that connection then they're they're missing something I guess so. if they're kind of critique if they're critiquing these kind of systems of power they need to make that connection but yeah the computer itself won't do anything if you just leave it to its... Like if you just get a computer and put it down, it's not going to do anything. I mean... It needs to have somebody who's employing it. Or will they? Because one of the other... Oh, yeah. One of the other headings you've got here is is AI. Um, and that's... That is... That, that trend within storytelling absolutely running rampant, isn't it? Within this idea of computers as almost like artificial... Almost like... as Computers as artificial intelligences that once they get enough once they gather enough power once they've got enough data um are gonna 
necessarily go insane and try and kill us. <laughs> yeah. Again, I think AI in games is often about one of or two things, mm-hmm. which is either a literal concern about AI, yeah. as in like the fear about what what is AI going to do? What does it mean? Or AI serves as a stand-in again for general anxieties about computers because it's a way of personifying computers as like a an as a character that we can go up against so it's like a way of giving us computers in an, like in some kind of not embodies not the right word but you know what i mean like a, a an antagonist to, to to stand in for yeah i mean we got um our girl glados comes up here right one of like video games great villains um who a is very fun one. Oh, she's so much fun everyone loves her and she's yeah. she's like the operating system <laughs> in um the aperture science labs uh yeah the research center in the in the portal series um what what a fantastic character so much personality there um but yeah she is she is a computer uh gone wild <laughs> Yeah, she's a, yeah, she's a great one. Um, yeah, the, a couple of others that came to mind. Um, there is an AI in uh, the original Deus Ex. Maybe some of the others. I, my memory is too bad to remember. Um, but that's one of the kind of one of the. Um, there's various uh, factions vying for control in Deus Ex, and the, the the AI is one of the ones you can align with at the end oh. um, to kind of take over. the you can kind of I think you can merge with the AI to, to kind of take over the world and potentially benevolently rule as like a a, a man computer god. That thing. sounds wonderful. Yeah, um, there's also yeah beneath the still as you say a long-standing anxiety beneath the still sky. The point-and-click adventure has an AI in it. Um, the, the the one that that kind of stood out for me, even though I haven't played the games because it's such a such an influential game and such a, a well known character is um, Shodan from the System Shock games. Right. So these would be for, for anyone who doesn't know the, the games that to which Bioshock is a, a spiritual successor. Um, so nineteen ninety four was the, the first one very influential games on game developers also it's amazing when you look at the people involved in them in various ways mm-hmm. so Warren, Warren Spector who went on to make Deus Ex um, Harvey Smith who's at Arcane so Dishonored, oh. Prey have you see I mean Prey has that kind of Prey is very system shocky in terms of the whole setup of it you know uh, being on a stage station and gone wild and everything um, Ken Levine of course. who made Bioshock um, I think there might be more as well. So it's crazy how many uh, how many developers have gone through that series in various ways. But anyway, um, Shodan is a, a murderous AI that takes over the space station and murders all the crew. Um, so that's yeah, a very well known one. So I mean, I was I guess I was trying to think about what makes AI scary potentially because um, Shodan is uh, System Shock does have a horror element to mm-hmm. it. Is meant to be weird. It, I mean, for me, I guess part of it is that they AI computers AI. We know that you can't like appeal to them in any way. Like you can't, you can't make some kind of plea for mercy or anything because 
like a computer follows commands. So even if it's an AI in control of itself in some way, it decides what it wants to do. And then you just know it's going to do it in this completely ruthless way mm. that, that, that leaves no space for, for any kind of uncertainty or um, flexibility. I, I, it made me kind of... I think there's like parallels with the way um, insects are often used. With um, this is kind of a, an aside thought for me. Like if you think of um, Starship Troopers, like right. the insect troops, they're just like that. You can't like when the insect is coming for you. You can't. It's not going to show you any mercy or feel bad for you. It's just like the insects are going to come and get you, yep. and that's decide what they're going to do, and they're just going to do it. They don't have a yeah. They're not going to. They're not going to do anything else other than what they have decided to do. Um, also, there's a in um, a Scanner Darkly Philip K. Dick novel. He does this. He he kind of uses. He often uses like um, computer or uh, like yeah, computer metaphors when he's talking about how people behave or something like that and he he kind of mixes it a bit with talking about insects when he's talking about drug uh, drug addicts like severe drug addicts who he, he talks about once they kind of in that state of they need to get their next hit they will they're, it's like they have like an insect brain mm-hmm. where they will that's what they're going to do and everything else like get subordinated so he's kind of drawing a link between like computers and insects i I don't know that's kind of what i was thinking about why ai is scary it makes sense i mean yeah we think of it as a very different kind of intelligence i mean i think if any of i'm sure it's a universal experience among people listening if you've ever had to be tech support for um in a professional capacity or indeed uh just for older relatives perhaps uh, this idea that that um that you'll often come across that I think we all kind of can fall victim to a little bit now and then is that not that you're using a machine um, that, you know, has specific inputs and outputs, but that you're trying to communicate with uh, another intelligence that you don't have the language for. And, you know, uh, depending on uh, how, if it's my mum, you don't care to learn, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, people say like uh, the computer isn't doing what i tell it to the computer doesn't like it when i do that yeah 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 all of this stuff um but yeah so it is again it's this idea that we're we're putting some kind there's some kind of intelligence in there but we we don't don't understand it we don't trust it perhaps yeah i I mean the 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 one other game i wanted to talk about and this whole idea of of control is uh deus ex series Mm -hmm. which i have a, a great deal of um affection for um so uh, hacking again appears in these games quite often. Um, I mentioned like finding passwords and stuff on computers, but you can so the, within these systems of control, this is a, a game where you can have a lot of fun manipulating them or or breaking them or turning them against the whoever's in control of them. So you can turn off security cameras, you can turn robots or turrets against guards, which is a really something really fun about that mm. um like not get not i always like the idea of they've set up their defenses with the idea that you're going to go up against them but instead you don't go up against them you kind of avoid them and repurpose them to like work for you that's something really nice about that i enjoy that a lot 
Um, again, I, I think part of what makes this fun is it's something we could actually do, um, by which I mean, so in DSX, you might find a password on a post-it and then you might use it to access a computer and then you might click turn off security cameras. Like we could all do that. Yeah. Like we could go in a system and click on, on the buttons. I can't um, fire a electric homing dart out of my cybernetic arm. Can you like, not? Um, uh, no, <laughs> like Adam Jensen is able to do. Right. Uh, I, that's not something, unfortunately, that's within my repertoire. But I can type in a password and turn and click on the turn off security cameras button and stuff like that so again i, I think that's something that is, is fun about playing with these systems of control and, and breaking them and, and warping them is that it feels doable yeah. <laughs> again because we know how to use computers and we know how they work and we're using knowledge from the everyday world of how a computer works and how emails work and, and all this stuff to do to do the things that we're doing in the game mm. I think that's really, yeah, that's, and it sounds like, yeah, that's just good action, isn't it? And good to make people feel like they have a capacity to subvert, at least, mm. uh, some of these systems. Um, the one other thing I liked with thinking about these um, AIs and, and how they can reach a point of power and complexity where they necessarily become evil um, are the games where that doesn't happen actually, where they reach a point of power and complexity where they become something more human almost. And, and games that I was thinking that particularly have that going on are Portal 2. And I don't want to go into spoilers particularly, but certainly uh, GLaDOS's character progresses over the course of that game and mm. also minerva's den which is the much lauded uh dlc for bioshock 2 have you ever played minerva's den no i didn't play bioshock 2 at all i skipped that one. Oh, it's but, quite good um, bioshock i do actually i do actually own it but right. i never yeah and it's kind of interesting it's an interesting one bioshock 2 i mm. think it has some really interesting ideas in it um and minerva's den is beautiful like minerva's den is yeah people always uh talk about that it's yeah, yeah, saying, yeah it's 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 hands down it's one of the best bioshock things i think um and again yeah in both of those games you you have computers that it's almost like that kind of normative idea we were having last week when we were talking about gore um that, that there is some kind of statement being made about the inevitability of certain things when we start moving in certain directions um and the idea that necessarily coming to a point of incredible power and self-possession which is what these computers do will be destructive and negative um that there's mm. a kind of normative statement that it's not necessarily the case that that um when consciousness becomes complicated or when we when we fully take charge of our own power that's necessarily going to be an ugly evil process and in in mm. both of those games you see um computers become something these intelligences become something much more benign and protective uh and i think there's there's quite something quite nice about that not maybe necessarily when we're thinking about how we should regard computers but maybe more when we're thinking about how we should regard ourselves no, yeah, for sure. Very nice. One thing that, that kind of links back to something we were talking about earlier um, in terms of 
this, this lack of, of abstraction that, that I was talking about in various forms. Mm. I think there's some really interesting potentials there for subversion precisely because of yeah this lack of disconnect. Um, so it's just a couple of, of games. Um, Pony Island, uh, which is a, a game that was kind of present... I, I think it was presented at face value a, a bit when it was released, like as a nice pony arcade game where you play as like a pony jumping over stuff. Oh, wow, what's um, not but, to like? But, yeah, but it, but it's it's not that. Okay. It's you, you kind of gradually. I think it, it it's something like the the kind of the devil is basically in control of programming, it and he gets very frustrated with you finishing things, and he's trying to the game like breaks and stuff as 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 you're playing through it, and he's trying to come up with stuff as you're playing through it because you're going through too fast mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You're kind of trapped in the arcade machine. Is is like the idea. Um, but it does some stuff like so um, again. Eris, uh, I can't. I just can't say this person's <laughs> name. Erisophilus, um, whatever. The, the same person who who helped us up before. Yeah, lovely um, friend. Helps me remember because I can remember exactly what it does. But it does um, it uses like the Steam pop up sound when someone sends you a message. Oh yeah. Which um, obviously it's a fake one with, within the game, and it does it to you're being told some stuff that you have to like remember by the the computer character who's like controlling you and it pops it up with and replicates like somebody sending you a message like why something like why are you playing a game called pony island yeah. like as if it's one of your steam friends right. and in the, in that moment where you look away something comes up and then goes and then you get kind of admonished for missing it and you can't do the thing you were supposed to do so it's a very clever way of using the fact that you're on your computer mm. using the by kind of mimicking the ai and subverting uh how you you expect your computer to function which i think is is a really cool idea um there's a, a game there's a demo that was released which called file uh, colon forward slash forward slash maniac where you have to actually go into your computer files and do things to progress in the game so like there's a locked door or something and you go into the game's files and you have to put the door in the recycle bin right and then go back in the game and then it's open (laughs) and stuff like that so it's all about actually going in your files on your computer and manipulating stuff and and it doesn't it doesn't um get very far with that it's quite a short thing but it's Pointing in an interesting direction, I think. I think that, sorry, I laugh there because it just reminds me of trying to play Morrowind in 2020, where you also have to go into your game's files and <laughs> move things around quite a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to be able to get into the thing. Didn't you, you had an example like that as well, didn't you? Oh, uh, I completely forgot. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is something that we were talking about ages ago, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Maniac Mansion, uh, which was the um, game that came before... Um, Day of the Tentacle. I don't know if you've played mm-hmm. Day of the Tentacle. Day of the Tentacle I've played, Of yeah. course. Yeah, wonderful um, adventure game from um, LucasArts in the... Oh, I don't know when it came out, probably around 95, I guess. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, Maniac Mansion was the game before that, and it... Um, there is... It's like B-movie sort of sci-fi going on in this kind of scary house um, that you're exploring. But there's a bit before a boss room, um, apparently, where you're not uh, allowed to save the game. Um, mm. Now, 
this is actually quite normal. I was playing Zelda the other day. There's a bit where you're not allowed to play, save the game. You know, this is something that lots of games do because they want you to run through this whole sequence um, all at once and for it to be challenging for you. Uh, but my memory of this, what, what happens when you try to save the game, a little notification comes up saying um, the evil meteor, which is your antagonist or one of your antagonists in this game, um, the evil meteor has taken control of your computer and won't let you save the game. Now, my eight-year-old mind was so <laughs> completely terrified by this when I came across it that I had remembered it as something... When I was trying to describe to you what happened, I remember mm. saying, oh, my God, it's insane. Like, the com like, it tells you that the meteor has control of all of your computer and then it just keeps quitting to DOS and then, like, it breaks your computer and you can <laughs> never get it back. Like, I honestly... I'd obviously had such a panic attack when I saw yeah. just this simple line um, that the meteor has command of your controller, uh, sorry, computer, and won't let you mm. save the game, that, um, that it just amplified itself into this terrifying experience in my head. It's definitely one of the most scared I've ever been playing a computer game um, because the, the computer that I was scared of was, was my computer. I really yeah, distinctly yeah. remember looking down at the keyboard in front of me with this sense of utter dread and being like, oh my God, <laughs> the meteor's in there. <laughs> yeah, like it had infected, it was in your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that was the scariest computer of all, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's a really cool, yeah, it's a really nice example. And I can also imagine being terrified. There is something terrifying about the idea of having your computer taken over by... A, a nefarious force absolutely definitely we must say as well um day of the tentacle has a computer in it which allows you to play manic mansion uh in full that's how i was playing it oh okay yeah i was playing it within day of the tentacle yeah okay that's us done for the week thank you so much for joining us for discussion of computers what are we talking about next time paul Talking about clothes. <gasps> Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get into some serious sartorial bitching. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I had a... It, at first, I was kind of terrified because I thought I'm not going to have anything to say about this. Um, I thought it might be a, a role reverse of, of computers, which is right. an unfamiliar one for you. But there is a few things that have jumped to mind. So uh, I think we'll be okay. Fantastic. We'll get into that next time. Um, and the other thing we want to say before we go, thank you. Yeah, the support has been fantastic. I know we said that at the beginning, but we're, we've both been so, so pleased um, mm. with with how people have um, engaged with us. And um, yeah, please do do those uh, iTunes reviews. If you could, that would be amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so yeah, that's us for now. Um, we will catch up with you again next time. Cheers. Bye.